Hi there, and welcome to Totally His Running the Race, a show enabling young men and women who want to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Tim Harris, podcasting from EI School of Biblical Training in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for joining. This is episode four of a 12-episode series, and today's episode is actually a follow-up from the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would encourage you to do so. In the last episode, Art Nuremberg, a longtime teacher here at the school, talked about the opportunity that all of us have to know God. If we're going to know God, then we must come to him on his terms. We also heard about the fact that Jesus gave up certain things in order to come and save us. And we must follow in his example of giving up certain things in order that we might pursue him. Well, in this episode, Mr. Nuremberg is going to share with us more about what is involved in following Jesus. The fact is, we all have a certain way that we think life should be lived in order for life to be fulfilling and satisfying. But Jesus also talked about how a satisfying and fulfilling life should be lived, and the two don't match up. Well, that creates a dilemma because we have two options, our idea of life and Jesus' idea of life, and a decision must be made. How do we make that decision? How do we resolve this dilemma? Well, that is what Mr. Nuremberg is going to share with us about in this episode. But before we listen, let me just pray over this time, committing it to the Lord. Father, as we think about these important truths, as we hear your word proclaimed, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So what does it mean to surrender to Jesus Christ? That's the subject that we have over the last two weeks. Um, When we come to that, we saw last week as we were going in it, even though that's often taught the need to surrender to the Lord, the term to surrender is not actually found in the Word of God anywhere. To serve, to surrender to Him is not directly a biblical concept. But last week we were thinking about this fact that even though it's not directly a biblical concept, it is, or it does describe an idea which is consistent in the New Testament. So in order to to look at that, we went to last week to a passage in in Matthew chapter 11. Well-known passage. And it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The Lord says this, He says, Come to me, all you who weary are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And He says this important word, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We looked at that picture and we saw last week. It's an interesting picture. The first thing I want to note about it again, just in, as in way of review, the Lord says, first of all, come to me. Christianity is not about coming to a set of rules. It's not about a doctrinal statement. It is about a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
around that person, there are doctrines which are very important if you're going to come to the real person. Around that person, there are requirements. But it's essentially coming to an individual, coming to a person. It's as if you're in trouble. The thing to do is come to me personally, and I will meet you. Then he says, he goes on to say this, that take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So you're going to come to me. But then he said, when you come, there's something that's going to happen. If you have come to Jesus Christ personally, he is going to do something. He is going to teach you. But he will only teach you if you accept that teaching. If you are ready to, to submit to that particular teaching. But he says, this is the way I'm going to teach you. And it's very important for us as Christians to realize this. He says, take my yoke. And last week, and I'm not going to go too long into this again this week, but last week we saw that that yoke has to do with a double yoke. The Lord is already in that yoke. He submitted to his Father and he lives a life, a disciplined life. That life that he's living is the path of life. He knew joy, he knew peace, he knew satisfaction. He knew fruitfulness. His life was important. Now he says, take my yoke. You you get in the other side. It's a choice you have to make. It's a choice I have to make. Take that yoke. Get in the other side. When you get in the other side, we saw last week, it was a picture of the way an ox was trained in Jesus' day. You would take a law, an older and stronger Animal, You would put it in one part of the yoke. One had already been trained, already knew how to respond. You put the younger and untrained animal in the other yoke. And because it was weaker, it could not dominate the first animal. It would learn the way of the yoke simply by following the example, the, the actions of the older animal. Jesus says to us, Take my yoke. And that's important to us because the Lord never asks us to live a way that He didn't live. He lived on a path which was fruitful, joyous, and it's the path of life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the way you're going to have that is to be like Him. And it's a beautiful picture. In it, and I think it's we could go a long time on that. We don't want to get diverted by it. But what a beautiful thing there. That we are yoked to Him, we're learning from Him by direct contact. We are being enabled by Him as we do that. But that's the picture He has here, and that's that's where we're getting closer to that matter of surrender. Because once you put on a yoke, and it's your choice, you, say, you take it, take my yoke when you come. It's your choice, you have to do it. But when you do that, you are giving up your freedom. You are giving up your right to control because once that animal is in the yoke, it will do whatever the other animal does. It will it will be controlled by that other one so that there is no question in Jesus' imagery here that he is inviting people to come and find rest, but they are going to find rest by accepting control. Now, last week we saw that this is exactly the way the Lord lived. He accepted the control of the Father. But when he accepted that control, what did the Father do for him? How did God the Father act towards him? What did he ask him to do? 
And we saw two elements to that. And this came from Philippians chapter 2. We won't turn there, but from Philippians chapter 2. First of all, that control of the Father over him led to a decision that all the things that benefited him personally, because he was in heaven, he would let go of. So his personal honor and blessing prestige, all the things that happened because everyone in heaven understood directly who he was. It says he walked away from who being in the form of God did not regard equality with God something to be held on to, but it says emptied himself. He gave up the control. And in giving up the control, he gave up everything which would be for his direct and sole pleasure. The second thing we saw about his life, that life that we're yoked to, if we take up that yoke, is that he then became not only a servant to his father, but a servant to people who didn't deserve it. That's the gospel. That's why I can have life today, and I can experience eternal life, because he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf. So that his obedience to the Father was not only a restricted life, but it led to a death, the death of the cross. And at that point, he had lost everything. But on the other side, he had gained everything. Because in that, he expresses the heart of God, and through that, there is tremendous things. Who, Again, although he does not want to go to the cross in, in a real sense as a human being, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? Well, the joy, part of the joy that was set before him was the joy of taking my life and giving me the potential. One who was lost, one who was under condemnation and giving me the potential to experience all the blessing of the Father. That would be joy to him. And you're, I'm not alone in that. That's not private, but it does meet me that way. But all the church, to see men and women who would be delivered from the terrible ravages of sin, the terrible results of their self-centeredness, coming to Him and knowing that joy and peace. And that's the path that He walked, a laying aside of His own personal things that are for his personal benefit, becoming a servant, and in that that servant to his father, but in becoming a servant to his father, becoming a servant to other people. That's the life that he offers to individuals. Now, when we think about that, we, we have to face this fact. We have a problem with it. Because... Before we listen to what Jesus has to say, we have a picture of what it would mean. What will happen, what could potentially happen in your experience or my experience, which would give us something which we would describe as abundant life? That's a big question to ask. What do you think, honestly, honestly, go down in your own heart and think, what do you think would give you abundant life. You know, every day, every time the lottery, and there's so many of them, the mega, whatever it is, the, the big lottery, 
megabucks lottery or whatever it is, um, comes around. And I say there's 500, this is what one I saw recently, $500 million could become the property of one person. May not happen that way, but it could become that. People all over this country buy tickets. Some spend an awful lot of money. Get tickets to get a chance to have it. Why? Because they believe, honestly, that if they had that kind of money, their life would be rich and full. There are other people that that give themselves to to things such as, okay, the American Idol. There's There's one. Maybe a fading idea right now, but what would it mean to win the American Idol, to have people acknowledge you as the best of the year? What would it be like, again, I remember being young and rock star type of thinking, what would it mean to be on a stage and have people around you just cheering while you performed? And there are some that view that. And they say, you know what? That would be a path of life. Um, there are sicker sides to it. There are sadder sides. Um, pornography is a huge problem in the United States. It's there because there are many, many men, particularly women also, but who believe that if they had a certain kind of sexual experience they would experience life. Now that's what they honestly believe or they wouldn't be continuously dipping into that well. The fact is, again, I'm not trying to just describe this uh, for make things up, but all of us had a viewpoint before we met the Lord of what would mean real life. Now, when Jesus comes to you and speaks to you, here's what he says. Life won't be found by you attaining anything, by honor, by wealth, by experience, by um, outward experience. It will come when you learn what it is to live for the glory of God and you perform that live for the glory of God by serving people around you. He says, that is abundant life. That is the experience of abundant life. And before we go to another passage, I want to also say this about that particular matter. That abundant life is available to anyone. I may never have any serious wealth. All of those dreams of people that they win the World Series, that they are the great athlete, that they are the rock star, that they are the uh, president of the United States, that they are somebody they hold wield power. Those dreams for most people are unattainable. And so there's a lot of frustration with regards to the matter of life. If only I had this, if only, I, and if, if, if only, if only, if only. But they don't have it, and anger and frustration and depression follow. The path of life that Jesus offers is available to anyone, anywhere. Because through his work, everybody has the chance to come to him. Everybody. There's nobody on this earth that can limit my opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. Second thing, 
I will always have other people around me. No matter where I'm at, the chances of being in a place where there is no one else around is very slim, and therefore I have the potential to serve others and find this kind of life all the way down the line. Now, when I say that, I am well conscious because I was there one day, but there are many who will say, okay, I believe that that's, you know, that's the polite way to respond. That's, this is Christianity. That's what it is. But I don't know. I don't know. That's why we have things like the prosperity gospel. You see, what the prosperity gospel, in essence, says is that God wants to give you the kind of life that you dream of as being the real path of life. It isn't the path of life. There's a deception to riches. But if you serve Him, He will make you rich. And the thought is not that I will have life because I'll know God. I will have life because I have money. I have health. I have prestige. All these things come if I will simply give to God. If I give to God, then He'll give back to me. And I will experience that life which is, again, the same thing that we wanted before we know we came to know the Lord. It's not so. It's just not so. It's a deception. Lord Jesus never wanted to deceive anybody, and so he speaks boldly and clearly. So I want to go to another passage today, and, and also in the book of Matthew, a very similar, This the record of this account is found in... Uh, Mark and Luke also, but we're going to look at it from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking about what it will mean to follow him. Some are concerned about what it could cost Jesus as well as them. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, Right. This is if you're going to follow, if you're going to, you're going to come to me, here's what you have to do. He must deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul probably one of the most important questions that you have to ask yourself what would it gain you if you got everything that you've ever dreamed about on this earth and lost your soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a question we don't have to ask because people are giving it every day. Now, when Jesus comes and says here, he's, he's talking to people who are trying to follow him. They have been confronted with the idea. He tells them that he is going to suffer. They don't like the idea of suffering, and so they balk at that, Peter particularly. And then Jesus says, okay, here's the, here's the truth. I want to be clear. I don't want to deceive anybody. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you're going to be one of my disciples, here's what you're going to have to do. And he uses, he uses three uh, terms here, three pictures to put this before us. First of all, he says this, you're going to have to deny yourself. And secondly, you're going to use, he uses a different picture, take up your cross. And then he uses actually a third picture, and that's follow me. All right, let me just go through those very quickly. The first, because there's a lot of confusion as to what he's saying here. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, denying yourself is completely different than self-denial. All right? If I get overweight and I need to lose weight, 
I have to practice self-denial. I like ice cream. Ice cream has a habit. If used, if I eat enough of it, it has a habit of putting on pounds. So in order to lose the pounds, I will practice self-denial. I want to eat the ice cream, but I won't do it. It has to do with a particular area. And sometimes we think about deny yourself as self-denial in that thing is I won't watch TV, I won't do this, I won't do that, and you're just you're just cutting some particular thing out of your life. The word deny here is different. It's it's used in a different sense. See, the to, to deny is to turn your back on your friend. We know that's from the story of Peter. Um, the same word is used with regards to Peter and his denial of the Lord. And what happened in that denial? What was he doing there? He wasn't just saying, I'm not going to do certain things, I'm going to withhold certain things for myself. It came down to this. Peter had followed Jesus to the court where he's being tried. This is in the last, this is just before Jesus is crucified. He's in trial now. And Peter said he was going to stick with him to the very end. And he's trying, he's trying. And he and John go to the court. It's the court of the high priest and he's, Jesus is being tried right there. And while Jesus is being tried, and it's obvious that he is going to be convicted, Peter is watching. A person comes to Peter and says to him, you're one of them too. In other words, you are Jesus' friend, aren't you? And you remember what Peter does. Peter denies the Lord. He doesn't try to hurt the Lord. <clears throat> He's not trying to destroy the Lord. He's not like, like Judas who betrayed the Lord and actively went to hurt Him. That's not what denial is all about. Denial is simply this. You come to a place where my friendship with your, His friendship with Jesus was going to cost Him and He made a choice between His own well-being and His friendship with Jesus. You see, he turned his back on Jesus as a friend in order to save himself. When we come to this, this picture, that's, that's what it means to deny. Now, Jesus says here, you have to deny yourself. And it, it creates an interesting picture here. As it pictures yourself here is a... It speaks about all those things that you want for your life. All of us have them. The dreams that you have for what's coming next in your life. All the hopes. They could be legitimate hopes. They could be sinful hopes. All the things that you think are necessary to make you happy. That's your that's yourself. Then he pictures another you who's looking at that person who has all those dreams and hopes and aspirations, all those thoughts, all those goals, maybe even all those achievements. And he says to him, he pictures it as you looking at that, and now you have to choose. Are you going to be Jesus' friend? Or are you going to be your own friend? 
And he says, if you're going to be my friend, that's Jesus speaking, if you're going to be my friend, you're going to have to turn your back on yourself. That is everything you have ever had as a friend. All the things that you've dreamed of. Now in that picture, there's, it, it sort of splits us apart into two beings. His next picture, um, and again, he's, just, he's reinforcing the same truth. Um, he says it this way, he's got to take up his cross. Now we don't have a lot of time here, but I want to say something about this matter of taking up a cross. Because uh, in our own day, in teaching on, on what it means to bear a cross, it's become in... Um, in common language, different than what Jesus is speaking about. Very often, a person will say, um, I have arthritis in my back. And, I mean, just that's a picture there. And that arthritis, which I can't change, it's just one of the things that's happened to me. It's just a cross I have to bear. See, typically, when we say a cross we have to bear, it's something which we cannot make a choice about. It's just, it's an inconvenience in our life or a pain in our life which we can't escape there's nothing we can do about it and so we just have to live with it we call it a cross to bear what jesus is saying here is completely different than that too in jesus day when a man was condemned to die the roman soldiers like it happened this way for jesus would ask force the man who was going to die on that cross, to take the cross up and take it to the place where he would be crucified. It's a terrible picture, and it's a picture which would have uh, caused real pain in the hearts of those that listen. But Jesus says this, if you want to come after me, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, on your own, take up that cross. He won't force you. It's different than the Romans. The Romans didn't give you any choice. You were going to take up that cross. But Jesus says there's a cross there. But imagine what happens when a man takes up a cross. When a person takes up a cross, when they did it in the Roman day, everything that they had lived for up to that point is over. Their family, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how many hopes they had for the future, no matter what preparations they had made, their life was over. Jesus comes to us and says something. We have dreams, we have hopes, we have position, we have achievements. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up a cross. And that cross will mean that everything you have dreamed of has to be released. You have to give it up. You have to allow it to disappear. Third picture he gives is a picture of follow me. This also brings up this choice matter. Because follow me means to join a person on the path that they're on. And it's, again, it's quite easy for us to picture because all of us are walking some way when Jesus meets us and he says, now I want you to leave that path and I want you to follow me. I want you to join me on my path. Just like Matthew who is a tax collector and he spent all those years learning how to be a tax collector and, and had great potential out in front of him financially. 
And one day Jesus meets him and he says, okay, follow me, join me on my path. And because he was walking away, either Matthew will stay on his path, that is right there at the tax office, or he will leave that and he will join Jesus. But it involves a choice, and and there the picture becomes one of of physically moving to follow the Lord. Now, where does that get us? We're thinking about this matter of surrender. When the Lord speaks to you, when He speaks to me, all of us have desires. It is not as if when when Jesus comes to us, we are neutral. We just don't care. We, We don't have any plans. A lot of people think, well, if, if I remember early in my Christian life running into a man who said that, you know, if this doesn't work out, then I'll follow the Lord. Well, that's great. In other words, my plan is where I'm going to go unless that plan fails, and then if I'm a failure, I will follow Jesus. Jesus meets us wherever we are. I was not a failure when Jesus met me. I had dreams. I had hopes. I had direction. And there that was. And I had a belief that that would lead me to a place of happiness, joy, peace, fulfillment, whatever you want to call that. Jesus comes and says, join me. Give that up and join me. That's where the point of surrender comes in. If I am going to follow Jesus, if I am going to choose that life, another life has to go. And that life is the life which I have dreamed about up to that point, pursued up to that point, and in some cases actually achieved to that point. But Jesus comes and says, if you want to know me, if you want to come to me, you're going to have to turn your back on your friend, that's you, and join me, make me your friend. You're going to have to take up a cross and, and let everything that you have lived for to now just die away. You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to join me on that, on that path. You're going to have to desert your path and enable and let me do them. The reason you have to do this is because he wants to train you. He wants to teach you. Now this morning as we think about all that, or today as we think about all that, what is it that's your life? We make a faith choice here. And you have to understand this. You make a faith choice. You either do or do not believe Jesus. Either you believe that He knows the path of life and has your best interests in mind and you will let Him teach you what He is like or you believe that money or sex or experiences or prestige or public opinion or whatever it is, what people think about you is where life is found and you'll pursue that. you got to make a choice. At the very beginning, there's the necessity in the act of faith of entrusting my life to Jesus, counting on Him to save me, is this thought that I have to accept the fact that when He saves me, He will completely change me to be like Him. That's the point of surrender. I have to let that go. Where's your faith this morning? What do you trust in? What do you believe is the path of life? I'm concerned that in this day and time that there will be young people 
who listen to what Jesus said and have the courage, more courage than the church has ever had, to commit themselves to Him and allow Him to make them like Himself. Those who can set aside their own well-being to live for the glory of God and express that life for the glory of God by living to bless the people who are around them, who will find their life by giving their life. I want to remind you of the, the point that we had at the very beginning, Jesus' last word. As you're thinking about this subject and what you're going to do, the Lord asks this question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And that gains the whole world, you have to put that in your perspective. You gain everything you've ever dreamed about. Marriage, career, experiences, prestige, power, whatever. If you got it all, if you got it all, and in the end you lose your own soul, what would you be willing to give in exchange for your soul? When a man understands the truth of Jesus Christ and understands what he has offered and believes in his heart that that's true, he comes to that place and says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to grab for this life and lose real life. I'm going to trust the Lord to make me like himself and bring me into that path of peace and joy. His burden is, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. His path is the path of life. Let's pray. I'll be coming. ask you to meet each one who's listening in the area of their needs. They'll see clearly and hear your voice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Totally His Running the Race. I trust you are encouraged as you seek to grow in your relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to listen to more messages that will be an encouragement in your walk with the Lord, go to the school's website, www.eibibleschool.org, and click on the Resources tab that's at the top of the page, and then you can select the audio library in the drop-down. Training students to develop a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that expresses itself in a life devoted to the advancement of God's kingdom is why EI School of Biblical Training exists. We offer a two-year unaccredited associate's degree where students attend classes, hear the Word of God taught, study the Word, and are encouraged to develop their relationship with the Lord. Our classes are designed to be both intellectually challenging and heart-searching. Some stay on for a third year and work towards getting a bachelor's degree. If you'd like to find out more about the school, visit our website, www.eibibleschool.org. Again, that's www.eibibleschool.org.